Guys, you are going to like this one. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, coming at you from the Broken Tine Studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. Got a really good one lined up for you guys uh, this week. Uh, really excited about this guest. It's somebody I've wanted to have on the show for a very long time. He happens to be one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite outdoor writers. He's a guy that just has a wealth of information and a ton of applicable experiences to the topic we're going to be talking about, which is going to be centered mainly around public lands and, and the history of public lands and the and sometimes the, the lack of focus that we sometimes get into as to like the fragility of of public land and how important it is to us as outdoorsmen and as hunters and anglers and everything else that we we do that fuels us in these eleven western states particularly. Um, and I'm really happy to have him have him on. Hal, how you doing, brother? I'm doing good, Jim. Thanks for having me, man. Man, this I'm. Is, this is awesome. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I I really uh I I really meant I meant what I said. Uh, you're one of my. Uh, by the way, guys, Hal Herring. For those of you that that don't know, I'll have him introduce himself here in just a second. So I I noticed I didn't say your last name, <laughs> but uh, I really I really meant it when I said uh, you're one of my favorite writers. I really like the way you write, the way you can articulate. Uh, you're just, uh, I mean, you're a magician with these uh, and you're a wordsmith and I really like the way you put everything together because it, it can, you, you have a way to simplify very complicated things and tackle very complicated topics, but make it in a way that like dumb dudes like me can understand. And, <laughs> and I really like that. So I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate that too. I'm a, I, it's, I work hard at it, uh, but I have, I do draw on, it's been my life, uh, outdoors. Uh, there, I, I, that's, it's a passion of mine in the first place that I think I, I bring it, you know, I, that I carry with me when I'm working on writing stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how, where did that come about? Because you're the, the thing that always interests me with you, Hal, is, is you're, you're from Alabama, right? Which is not particularly known for its vast public lands. Uh, such as as uh, we have out out west, and and I I'm uh, you know I'm fairly familiar with Alabama. I lived in North Carolina when I was in the military uh, for a long time, and I think there was a lot of similarities. And I, in fact, I got yep. a crazy story. You know what I think about when I think of Alabama? Tell me. I, I had this buddy of mine. Uh, we we hung out, and he was from Alabama, so we're we're stationed both together in in North Carolina there. And he's from Alabama, and I always knew he was a little crazy. And uh, we go, I don't remember where we were going, but it just so happened we're by this field off base somewhere hanging out in my, I had this Ford Ranger and he's in the passenger seat and it's nighttime and it's dark out and my headlights spot some white-tailed deer in this field. 
And I, I uh, just, you know, we're young, uh, probably 20, 21 years old, somewhere around there. Young and dumb and, and Marines, you know, have big egos that they need to fulfill or whatever. Uh, so I turned the truck into this field and uh, the, the goal, with the goal of chasing these deer. Well, he had a different goal in mind because I got up next to one and, and they were running and I'm, I'm tearing off through this field. I've got the truck in four wheel drive, mud's flying. And all of a sudden this dude, his last name, I, I don't even remember his first name. His last name is Sanders and Sanders all of a sudden rolls down the window and jumps out of the truck and onto the back of this doe. And, wow. and try and she bucked him off like it was it was the worst rodeo buck off I've ever seen. He goes flying one direction, the doe kind of rolls on the ground, jumps back up, and runs off. And I slam on the brakes, and I'm like, "What the hell just happened? He just jumped out of my <laughs> truck." So when I when I think of Alabama, that's always what I think about. Is that are you crazy like that guy? I, I doubt I would be jump. Well, in my youth, I might have jumped out of trucks. <laughs> uh, I, nowadays i go along with the idea that the ground gets harder and harder every year until it opens up and lets you in god you're not kidding man you know, <laughs> the ground I, hurts uh, a lot more nowadays <laughs> it was a good place to grow up though um and i stayed there until i was i think i was 25 when i moved west but uh it was a great i mean i hunted for i hunted so much ever since i was nine years old mm-hmm um, and I was lucky that my folks uh, had a they they bought a place. My father never loved li- like living in town, and they got a place that way out way out when I was about twelve. And so um, I grew up free, uh, and really fishing and hunting. I mean, I I just that was my main focus as a kid. As it same is than now. Giver, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Do you ever get back to Alabama and hunt at all? I do. I don't hunt very much. Um, my nephew is on our old place down there deer hunting and has invited me this year if I can get there. I don't know if I can. Um, but uh, I don't hunt down there much, but I certainly fish. Yeah. And and I go back whenever I can. I will go back. My, my I've got family there. Yeah. And I've got a good friend in Mississippi who has a boat and we still fish all that. I still love, I, I, I've never gotten over fishing the tailwaters of like Gunnersville Dam, Wheeler Dam, Pickwick on the Tennessee. Uh-huh. Um, I never, I, I, I still am, I, I would go do that right now. Yeah, that'd and be a I, ball. I just, I'd go with it's you. It's super fun. You never know what you're going to catch. Um, yeah. The That's... fishing's good. That's the thing about the South too is you, yeah. you like you nailed it you you really never know what you're gonna catch. That's where I was introduced to alligator gar, and yeah. and I caught this sucker. I was trying to bass fish and and I caught this alligator gar. I'd never seen one, never even heard of one, <laughs> and had pulled this thing up and he tore up my net. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they were that was something like when I was man I was. I don't know, nine or 10, I read something like in Outdoor Life or Field and Stream about using a piece of, um, like, pantyhose like that, that you put on the back of your lure. Uh-huh. And when a gar hits it, they'll tangle, and you can, you can, get, them, you can, you can get them hooked, you know? Oh, interesting. And I tried that a lot. And I actually I caught a couple. They weren't alligator gar. They were short-nosed or spotted gar. Uh-huh, yep. But I did. I was able to catch them using that trick that I got. It might even have been in that. Remember, Sports of Field used to have that almanac in the middle. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
they hadn't had a, all these cool like tips. But uh, that was in the huh. swamps along the Tennessee River out of Huntsville, Alabama. Wow! And you could really catch some weird stuff in there as well, like um, the river drum, like uh, freshwater drum would move up in there. Um, you never knew what was coming. Go, uh, both in. Yep, yep, yep. Which people call grinnell down there, but um, yeah. So yeah, uh, it was it, it was good. <laughs> yeah, heck yeah! It, it uh, that's the, again. I I love the South. I it was a when I when I moved as a kid because I grew up out in uh, or down in Utah. And yeah. uh, uh, from a kid from Utah out west, you know, we, uh, my family, we spent a lot of time in Utah, Colorado, you know, Wyoming, yep. Idaho. Um, all good. All good stuff, you know, and all this, yeah. all, all this different western landscape that I was so used to. And then, and then the Marines sends me out to uh, North Carolina, and there's yeah. no mountains out in coastal North Carolina. You know, it's so just, you were at Camp Lejeune. I was. Yep, you nailed it. Yeah, gotcha. Yep. So yeah. we'd fish. We'd fill. Uh, I can't remember the name of that river coming out of Pollocksville, uh, but uh-huh. it was really good for bass and, uh, yep. you know, new river and all these, all these different areas. Oh, but yeah. it, it was a culture shock, but the South grows on you. And so there's, yeah, there's some sure. things that I miss about it, but, uh, now you're in Montana. I have been for thir- I think 34 years. I'm starting to date myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had done like Speaking of day, I was I was I worked on the Gulf Coast too and commercial fishing like when I was twenty twenty one, mm-hmm. and I was back there and I I went to this commercial fishing museum in Destin, Florida. It's really cool. Oh man! And uh, the boat, one of the boats that I'd worked on was you know, there was a big picture of it, you know, on the wall. And I told the lady, I said, you know, I worked on that boat in nineteen eighty five, I think. And she said, would you come in for interviews and all? And I thought they were going to stuff me and put me as an exhibit. <laughs> I was, and, and it made me feel like I was the ancient, you know, like like you're so old. that the, <laughs> <laughs> pay, a, pay a quarter in the machine and you can see this, this uh, old yeah. dinosaur over here that used to work on that yeah. boat. <laughs> he used to be on that boat. Look, we got him. We got him. <laughs> So the the question I was going for earlier, uh, and and you'll see as as we go along through this conversation, I get sidetracked very easily. Um, That's sh- fine. Yeah, short attention span. Um, what like because you're you're such an advocate for public land, and you you have such a deep under. In fact, you've got one of the deepest understandings of public lands and how they work and the history of them and the and and what what we're uh, facing in terms of obstacles. What got you into that? Being a kid from Alabama, uh, to That's, yeah, translating um, into such a such a voice for it. Well, I yeah, I have an answer to that one. So I was um, when when I was in college in Alabama in Tuscaloosa, we had kind of an informal. This was before internet, phones, any maps, Onyx, Go Hunt. Um, but we had topo maps of all the available public land like Caledega National Forest and uh, Bankhead National Forest, um, the Mulgee Wildlife Management Area down there. We spent so much time on that. Anywhere we could go, we went, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when I started and I moved out west, I, I had gotten a job managing this little ranch in the Bitterroots. And this first year I was legal, I hiked into the Bitterroots and I killed a bull. 
and it was I didn't kill another one for like six years. I thought I had it world by the tail, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like going around telling people how to elk hunt. Um, but I, <laughs> I looked into I looked into this bull, and I I just never got over it, you know, Jim. I I, I like. The idea that you could walk from your house to miles and miles where there were elk and mule deer and uh, mountain lions, you know, mm-hmm. um, and trout, and uh, and you could walk to Idaho, and you still wouldn't be on anybody else's land but yours. Yeah. And I, and so this was when I was in my twenties, and I, I was also working. Then in timber, doing control burns, tree planting, all of this, all on federal public land, right? Yeah. And so it that turned into 26, it, 27 years more, I'm still doing it, but of contracting or subcontracting public land work. So not only was I, and then raising my kids, not only were we on public land all the time, but a large part of the groceries that came in my house was paid for by public land contract. Mm. And so at some point in there, I I ran into, I I can always tell this story and it was in 1999 and I was just starting to do outdoor writing and I ran into a study is before the internet now. Yeah. Um, I mean, they had internet, but I didn't have it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Me neither. (laughs) And, and it was it said how and why to privatize all federal public lands now. And I didn't I got read that and I was like, whoa. And then I started researching and I finally I had gotten on at Field and Stream as a freelancer, you know, just a stringer. Um and I started covering public lands issues because I discovered that the the whole idea of, of American public lands had been it, it was a uh, it was always in danger. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it has and been. Yeah, since its inception. Always, and 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 the whole idea that that uh, President Harrison in 1891 would have would have signed the Forest Reserve Act, which kicked the whole thing off. You know, mm-hmm. um, that was in, unlikely to the max. Like. <laughs> Like a lot of people hated the idea of setting anything aside during the frontier, the closing of the frontier. You know, do you think that was from like leftover natural uh, past, passed down beliefs and 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 just I don't know societal norms of the time where you know th- these folks came from other, uh, you, you know, th- these were the direct descendants of. Um, you know, their grandpas and great grandfathers were, were were folks from mainly Europe, where there was no concept of public land. I mean, outside yeah. of a park in town, kind right. of thing. Uh, and and you, you know, the king's deer was to be hunted only by people authorized to do so. And and their oh, the yeah, lack of public land. Yeah. I, I guess where where I want to emphasize is kind of what I told you before we hit record is is I feel like there's been this kind of drop in interest and discussion uh, about public land and, and its fragility since, I don't know, sometime after like COVID started. And I don't know where yeah. that comes from. And and I think that a, a lot of people see like how for me, I had this epiphany moment where 
again, I, I grew up out west. I had I, in high school. I was I, I spent more time on public land than I did in a public high school. I, I was yep. constantly in the woods. I was I, I can get on a dirt road and go for four days and not see another soul. I could hike yeah. into the into the back country. I could do all these things. I could hunt. I could camp. I could fish. And and my family did that. We we spent all our time in national forest camping in remote areas on primitive spots where, you know, you just kind of pull in, set up a tent or set up your trailer, and 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 that's how we spent our summers and fished on the yep. on the rivers catching brook trout. And then yeah. all of a sudden, I I go out to North Carolina, and when you're in the military, you're able to get a resident license to go hunt deer. And I was pretty excited. I'd never seen a white-tailed deer until I got to North Carolina. Uh, the, this, wow. The, the, and, and they're just small out there on coast, in coastal North Carolina. They're not much yeah. bigger than my golden retriever. I was, I was blown away when you compare it to, you know, a, a big mule deer from Colorado or Utah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and this is a long way of, of, of getting there, but I think it's important because this epiphany moment, I think, is lacking in a lot of people that grew up out west. I, yeah. I get there. I get this deer tag. I, I go down to the PX on base, which is kind of like your, uh, you know, get everything store, a Walmart, so to speak, on base. And I put this 30-06 on layaway. And I pay it for a few months and finally get, I mean, probably 250 bucks or so. But, you know, you don't make much in the military, especially 20 sure. some odd years ago. Get the rifle out and I get my deer tag. I'm all excited because for 40 bucks I could shoot six deer and a bear and and all these turkey and you know lots of stuff and my fishing license yeah. was included. I go out and I I buy this that Ford Ranger that I referenced earlier and I start driving all over North Carolina. And you know what I found? Nothing but no trespassing signs everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I mean everywhere I went I, and I I bought a map to see if I could find I I didn't even know what they were. I didn't even really reference or know the difference I, between public land and or, or national forest or BLM because I just thought that it was like how I grew up everywhere. I didn't I realize bet that was a reality check. It, it was how it was. It was like I was in a state of depression over the whole situation. I, I finally found this little chunk of land, uh, and it's called the Crotan National Forest, not far from. Um, from base and it's super small. I mean, it's, it's, I don't even know how many acres it is, but in two hours you could be from the South side to the North side, uh, in probably under two hours. And it wasn't very big, but that's the only chunk of private or public land I could find that was accessible. Um, so the point is, is I was shocked. Did you get one? No, I did. I did get one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, but it took a lot of work and it, it was, I was just shocked at the lack of land that I could go use because I was so used to so much sure. land available to me. And so today we have a lot of hunters out there that I think might not understand the importance and the beauty of our public land system. Can you kind of build upon that and, and maybe yeah. express the importance of it? Yeah. So what, what, what you were experiencing was the fact that, but before you get to the 100th meridian, you know, which cuts the country kind of in half, the Great Plains. Yeah. You got all that rain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so that land was claimed, um, it was claimed right during between the, the Revolutionary War and the, and the, the Civil War. Mm-hmm. That land was just completely claimed, bought, sold. It was, um, so it was taken from, you know, the Native Americans 
either through warfare or trade. And and then it was immediately uh, the, some of the great history that I got into. I'm working on a book on this, and one of them is is if you go back to 1783 and you look at the war in Ohio, which was the frontier back then, mm-hmm. um, you can start understanding how all of this kind of unfolds because that area, Elk River, um, Canal uh, River um, in Ohio and, and West Virginia and all, that was just one of the most hotly contested places in America. Um, the one of the greatest defeats of the U.S. military to this day occurred there. St. Clair's defeat. Yep, yep. Um, and so what it was was all of that land was so well watered and so valuable that it was claimed by individuals, private enterprise forever, you know. And, and it wasn't until <laughs> – I don't want to lecture here, but it wasn't until 1911 with the passage of the Weeks Act. Okay that the the federal government could purchase land for national forests in the east, like in the south, you know? Yeah, where it was already and gobbled like up. That, yes, and like that Croatone you're talking about. So these lands were abused to the point where all the timber was cut off of them. People had farmed them and lost most of the dirt, like for tobacco. Uh-huh. And they were basically abandoned or pennies on the dollar. So... The Weeks Act of 1911 allowed the federal government to buy up and create public lands and restore the ecological function of land. Like in Alabama, the Bankhead National Forest had been logged flat and then farmed until, and it's not that good a farmland. It's it's not the bright kind of dirt. Oh, okay. And until it was just exhausted and the the topsoil was all gone and people had left. Um, and so the federal government could then buy that. It's still very beautiful, you know, and, and kind of uh, they restored it. Like down south, Conecuh National Forest, that was longleaf pine. And it was logged off flat and then turpentined. And they did everything they could to get money from that land. And then they tried to farm it. It wouldn't farm its sand. So it was abandoned. And under the Weeks Act, the federal government could take it on and create the Conecuh National Forest, which is now a beautiful, longleaf pine functioning place, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that land was all so valuable up until they exhausted parts of it. The Pisgah National Forest in North Carolina was logged absolutely flat. And um, so much topsoil had run off of there, it then caught fire. I mean, yeah. it's like a, it's like you can't believe it. And uh, so much topsoil had run off of there that it filled up the French Broad River, and it made it all flood, mm-hmm. and then it, it made it impossible to navigate. Like the Hudson River has sediment in it from the logging days of the frontier, it, it, where it's it still strands boats. Wow, really? It, yeah, it's called legacy sediment, and. So much dirt ran off of those mountains there after they logged it and burned it that it, it filled up the river. I mean, and this caused huge floods like the Monongahela River in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. just like whacked out the town, you know. Uh, and and so people were going like, holy smokes, maybe we shouldn't be doing this to this extent, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and once they got west 
and people were doing the same thing in the West in these arid landscapes, they said, holy smoke, this, and this is the key to public, the existence of public land in the West, was watershed protection. That's what the 1891 law was all about. Okay. And they said, we have got to protect the headwaters of these rivers in the arid West, or we ain't going to have anybody doing anything down low. Yeah. And if you notice, most of the down low is private, mm-hmm. and the mountains are the public. Yep, yep, for sure. And that—that's the—that's how it started huh. in 1891. Um, and so much of Utah was simply not claimed by anybody because it's a desert. Same with Nevada. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so, if you go to Nevada, I was just down there. My son's working down there. The all of the water sources are private. They were homesteaded, and, and the Homestead Act didn't come till after the, the Civil War, right? Mm-hmm. But they were the water was homesteaded, and then the desert out there was left to in federal hands because nobody wanted it. But if you control the water, of course, nobody could really compete with you for grazing it either. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, there's some you know there's some wild. It's our you the American history. It, it ain't never been a country as as wild and unlikely as this one. I just no, I no matter what that. happens, I just I just I just love it. I, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm a so I'm I'm a history buff. Um, yeah. And so I I, uh, I spend a lot of time waste. I don't I, I don't know. I don't want to call it wasting time, but uh, I don't think it is. It, it, it's because it's not. And I think that people that understand his historically how things came about. Uh, are are better yeah. suited to discuss things that are current, and that's it. That's the only way. Yeah, I, I mean, it's I, I get a kick out of some of the discussions. Uh, you know, uh, dumb topics like getting rid of Civil War statues because people are offended, but they don't understand the history behind them and, and That's right. how they came about. And so it's it, it's an ignorant approach to uh trying to I don't know erase things that happened. It's it's okay. It's okay, like, like as if I always compare our country to a person. A person never goes through their life without making a mistake, right? No, nobody's Correct. perfect. Nobody's perfect. Correct. We've all had a black eye one way or the other. And so yep. we're supposed to be okay with that and, and be okay with each other despite some of the mistakes that were made in the past. And so why yeah. keep blackening that eye? And, and that's kind of what well, I relate it to. Yeah, and the other thing is there's never been a country that instituted – or I'm not created the mechanisms by which you can address those problems. Exactly. Yeah. Like this one. Like I mean, the one time I love Shelby Foote. You know, history oh, yeah. of the Civil War. Oh yeah. For sure. And he says in an interview with Ken Burns, you know, he says the the one time that we failed to bring everybody to the table and compromise, we killed six hundred twenty thousand people. Mm-hmm. He said most of American history is people working it out. And and it may take like from the Emancipation Proclamation of 1862, Two. I think, or whatever, um, to the 1964 Civil Rights Act. It yeah. may take 90 or 100 years to get to get what you got coming to you. You know? Yeah, absolutely. But the mechanism is there. The mechanism is there, and it's it's such a unique system of of uh, solutions are able to come about and be brought forth and and actually presented to people that can make decisions on them. 
Uh, another exactly. great there, there's two great things that came out of the Civil War that that people well there's a lot of things that came out of the Civil War but um, the, the two things that really stick out in my mind is is and especially these naysayers that say oh well America had slavery well the whole world had slavery so yep. shut up there's still slavery in some places in the world so uh, that's great we're the only country that shed the blood of over six hundred thousand people to end slavery the other thing right. the other thing that came out of that is we're the only country to have fought a civil war, to have fought a civil war, and when that war was decidedly over, both sides shook hands and went home. Not that there were some rough patches along the way afterwards, right? Because there, there yep. was. But oh, we yeah, are, we, still are. There still are, absolutely. But, but no other civil war in American history ended by one man signing a piece of paper to another man. Yeah. Yeah, and and they stacked arms and went home and went on about their lives as one country, and amazing. It's it really is, and and granted, yes, the city of Vicksburg didn't celebrate Independence Day for eighty four years, but they right. do now, right? They do now, right? The, the process is there, and so it, the process is there. It's a, um the process is what I'm talking about, and this is absolutely relevant to any discussion of public lands because this the 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 the. the institution of the American system of public lands came about because of the black eye, the terrible mistakes that we made in logging. And I mean, I'm not talking about sustainable logging. I'm talking about slicking it off until there ain't nothing left everywhere. And, um, the, and, and so, uh, we saw what Roosevelt said was he saw in the pillage and the wasting of America's natural resources, a danger to the future soul of the nation mm-hmm. that we just weren't, we just couldn't be that kind of people. And we were, I mean, I, I got to tell you, you know, about a black eye. Like, I think we were the best at wrecking the place that the world had ever seen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look at the bison. Um, by 1876, like they were killing the last bison in Miles city, Montana. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. you know, uh, the and then you go to flash forward to the 1960s. The Cuyahoga River is on fire. A hundred years before that, people were kept like like sane and steelhead out of that thing for you know. Gosh, isn't that crazy? I mean, <laughs> yeah, and and but I, just like you're talking about with the Civil War, we it, it it also if you don't like rough patches, you need to go to another country and live there. Or, you know, because there's going to be rough patches. Yeah, there's going to be rough <laughs> patches everywhere you go. You know, everybody yeah, has this a dark country, history. This country is wild. I mean, it's it's not for the faint of heart. Yep. Um, but we did the same thing. We created the mechanisms to fix land and water and wildlife destruction. And we invented them whole cloth here. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I am. People accuse me of being an optimist, you know, and I'm. I just say, like, hey, man, based on our track ref- record of wrecking stuff and fixing it, I yeah. think optimism is a good. It's, it's okay to be optimistic. It's. I think it's necessary to have optimism yeah. uh, in a lot yeah. of these discussions and justified. We yeah. we did it. Like like, look at the Weeks Act that gave us the national forest east of the Mississippi. You know, look at the look at the um, Yellowstone National Park. Look at look at the Bitterroot National Forest. You know, or or over there where you are in the cabinet. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, it's just like it's you. Ca- it's so great you can't believe it that we have these freedoms to roam these lands. 
And how? It was what, a choice. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I cut you off. It was a choice that that, that people made in the United States in, in 1891 through the 1920s, 30s. What What do you think? What do you see as the opposite? Uh, the opposition to public land. Um, where does that mentality come from? Like, do you? I, I mean, I know, I know. Uh, where it comes from in terms of who the players are. I, I know, you know, I am yes. a diehard right-wing conservative guy. Very, uh, I'm a constitutional conservative. A very, cons- okay. uh, you know, yep. when, when it comes to that. However, I, I get frustrated with my own party because a lot of, most of this comes from that side. And, and I yes, don't, I, I, I think that that's, I, I don't understand why other, well, I, I, I kind of do, but I don't want to get into all that, but um, where does the mentality I, come from, do you think? Well, there's several different ones. Um, one is, and and we one is simply the ideology or ideology, right, that the federal government shouldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Right, that that it's a state's rights, and it's it's um it's the Tenth Amendment, and it's all. But it, but the, the existence of public lands is in the Constitution. That it, it allows the federal government to own lands. I tried to um, explain that very thing. I actually had Ammon Bundy, who you might know, uh, recently was running for him. governor. Yeah, I met um, him. I had him on the show, and I argued with him until we were both blue in the teeth about that topic, and he he just doesn't yeah. get it. I, Ammon doesn't argue though. A- Ammon talks to you or at you. Yeah, I know. Ammon, Ammon doesn't talk with you. Yeah. Um, and that was my experience with him. Um, it's a very little time I've ever exchanged. I uh, I met him and his dad. Um, they, they have a <clears throat> so theirs is simply they, they. But let me tell you, they haven't thought it through because the Bundys would not be grazing the. Gold Butte National Monument in the Mojave. If the federal government didn't own that land, uh, exactly, exactly. I mean, somebody else would come in and they would kill those cows and they would sweep them away back to their 160 acre deeded place. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like Clavin Bundy. I think he's a likable person, mm-hmm. and he's tough as nails. They're like, they're like, he is. A, he, him, him, and some of those guys with him are great cowboys. Sure. Um, and but they are simply utterly misguided on this topic and so the other people that are against this one there's people who want to make a boatload of money privatizing public lands in america because they can and that would be like the american um lands council um alc and uh that's that's one of them there's other people who simply they they have been taught to despise the federal government and the public lands are owned by the federal, by the American people and managed by the federal government. Mm-hmm. And so the things that these people dislike include the public lands. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and they have a they have a weird way to relate it too. Like one guy was talking. He's a he's a senator here. I won't I won't throw him under the bus right now. I've already okay. done that a million times. But um, he's a senator from Idaho, and he's talking about oh well. We have to get rid of these public lands because when your landlord is, you know, 2,500 miles away in Washington, D.C., that's not how it works. That is not how it works. It, the, the, no. the federal government is not a landlord. It's not. Idaho is not paying them like you would pay a landlord to have public 
U.S. Forest Service and BLM. No, in land. fact, the landlord is paying Idaho exactly. under uh, that, it's payment the, in lieu of taxes every every year. The pilt payment in Idaho is ridiculously large, and so I don't yeah. understand why that th- this would be under attack. Like, what? I, I, let me ask you this: This would be a good question for you, Hal. What happens if the public lands are so-called transferred to the state? To me, uh, it'll, it'll be a sell-off of epic proportions, and here's why. <clears throat> public, if, if public land, what, what the lands we call public, if they made a lot of money, they would have been claimed under private ownership under one of the Homestead Acts that ended in 1976, okay? Yeah. The reason that Nevada is 73% or whatever public land, maybe more than that, is because it's a desert. <laughs> yeah, it's not valuable <laughs> and, land. It's not valuable land, but now, say, like if, if you're uh, like in Utah, they're they're selling off all the state lands, the mm-hmm. Sitla lands, yep. And people are buying those for these like luxury camping operations and outfitting operations, you know. Yeah, I know. And so, but the the thing about if you were to transfer federal public lands into state hands, can you imagine the budget? That that state, the, the taxpayer would have to, the state taxpayer would have to pay an enormous amounts of money to, to for the management of yeah, land. Exactly, and they don't. It, it, you can't like. There's eight cows to a section on some BLM lands. That's about that's about the sustainable number, you know. Mm-hmm. And you can't pay land taxes on that. And the state can't afford to hold that land and give up payment in lieu of taxes, right? Exactly. I mean, I mean, it's this not... is a debacle waiting to fall upon us. <laughs> uh, well, that's you're you're making a great point. There is only one call company here at the Western Huntsman, and that is Phelps Game Calls, born out of hunting. And the necessity to make the best calls on the market, Jason Phelps started this company in his garage back in 2009, and now he's got some of the finest lineup of elk calls, turkey calls, predator calls, waterfowl calls available on the market. If you guys go to the website, check it out and get what you need. And if you're in the market, when you go to checkout, use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. Whether you're just getting started or have expert-level calling skills, Check it out at Phelps Game Calls. Get them close. Hoffman Boots is a fourth-generation owned boot company, a family of shoemakers based in North Idaho. I've been sporting a pair of Hoffmans for close to a decade, and I really like the Hoffman Explorer in the 8-inch. It's the best boot out there, so check it out at hoffmanboots.com, and you'll see the whole lineup of hunting boots and lineman boots and pack boots and everything else right there on the website. And if you choose to purchase a pair of boots, make sure you use the promo code all caps lock Huntsman 10 for 10% off. Scree Gear, extreme high performance hunting attire and gear that is scientifically tested, complete layering systems, and some of the finest merino wool products to keep you warm and comfortable. And it's all backed by a great company. What I really like about Scree is if you go to the website, they have these bundle options like the elk bundle or the whitetail bundle or the turkey bundle, all that stuff that'll get you completely outfitted for your favorite hunt. The starter bundle is a really good deal. Make sure you check that out. They've got the VIP sizing guarantee. And so you can exchange something if it doesn't fit right at absolutely no charge to you. Guys, it's a great warranty, great company. And at checkout, as always, use promo code THEWESTERNHUNTSMAN for 15% off. And 
free shipping. The Elk Collective, folks, the best investment you can make when it comes to hunting is what's between your ears. Having elk knowledge is what separates those who succeed every once in a while versus those who notch a tag every single year. So go to the Elk Collective and sign up. There's over 150 videos in this online course to teach you everything you need to know by some of the best experts to ever enter the elk woods. It's a great program at a great price, guys. And if you use the promo code, the Western Huntsman, you're going to get 20 bucks off of your entire course. So instead of 89 bucks, you'll get it for $69. And now that September is over and we're into October and November and all these fall hunts, if you get it now, you're going to have an entire year to go through all this course. And believe me, you're going to need it. There's so much content in there. So check it out and use the promo code, the Western Huntsman, all one word. Last but not least is Tacticam. Guys, you know I've been using Tacticam for a very long time. I really like my Tacticam 5.0s. I like my Tacticam in the wide lens, so you can get that kind of wider angle and shot. Uh, the, they've upgraded now. They've got the Tacticam 6.0, which is super cool. I can't wait to get mine. And also the cell cams. Don't forget about the Tacticam Reveal cell cams. They've got a bunch of different series of these things, and I've got them all over my property, so I know what's going on at all times. Whether I got a bear that's coming after my chickens, or if I have an intruder down at the driveway, or if I have a giant monster whitetail buck over in my hunting spot, I know what is going on at all times. I love my Tacticam reveals, guys. Check it out at Tacticam.com. Let's get back to the show. Here we go. It's not just that we as hunters would would lose access, right? It's not just that. You would definitely lose access. We, though, would, because, we would totally lose yeah. access. Yeah. But, and that's what I was trying to argue with, with Ammon Bundy about uh, on my show is, is he's like, oh, no, the state would just take it over and manage it as if it's that simple. And and he's going, well, we, you know, locally, we we manage the wildlife pretty well and, and we can manage the land pretty well. And so and, and he's he's promising, oh, no, it would stay public. But who pays for that? There isn't money for that, first of all. And second of all, when when you're talking about state management it, it, it reminds me of that 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 line in that movie uh, the patriot with mel gibson where he's talking yes. about you know uh I, i'm paying one tyrant three thousand miles away or three thousand tyrants one mile away uh, you, you yeah. know what, like as if the That's state a great line. <laughs> it is a great line it's a great line and it's 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 so true because the the way that states will manage and especially like somewhere like Idaho and I I don't know how it is in Montana Montana I think has a better system than Idaho does in terms of state managed land but uh, you, you know you're we're we're there are some big problems right now but is there? but we have had we have a great history of the DNRC doing the right thing yes yes and and. and I, I know I've heard uh, I've heard I, I think it might have been you he was talking to Randy Newberg talk about Montana state uh, land uh, kind of you know policies and, and the access availability to, to residents and whatnot but but that was one though with a court case in I think 1986 yeah yeah it wasn't it was it wasn't it was not there before no um it, it again here's the thing that that we should touch on. The America is still a place where the future is somewhat up to what you choose as the people. And and that that court case in Montana that won access to state lands, it was done by I think it was Rapali County Fish and Wildlife, a small sportsman's group down in the Bitterroot. Mm-hmm. 
and it, it would not have happened had these people, a, a bunch of them that I knew, who are, they're passed on now, uh, God bless him, Harry Lafreniere, was retired military, and the guy could sit, he was had pet, the patience of like a alligator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the ability to do paperwork and stuff, and uh, they just did a hero's job, and, and it, it doesn't, none of this, you don't get to hunt if you don't make the choice to protect what you got. And we're up against so much, you know, so much of my show is, is, you know, driving the passion behind hunting to, to kind of have people always at the forefront of their mind, understand some of the challenges that we're up against. One is public yeah. lands. And the other one that we t- touch on a lot here is the anti-hunting movement. Uh, and yeah. there, some of their, whether they're going through commissions or legislative action or, or whatever, they're trying to, trying to get rid of hunting, right. And, and just taking one bite out of the elephant at a time. It's kind of the same thing with public land. There's these, yeah. these people that, that they have money and the potential to make a lot of money, uh, that have their hands in the, in this public lands issue. And, and that is where some of us that don't have millions or billions of dollars can sometimes feel helpless. It's like, yeah. you know, but we're not helpless. Because exactly. We, we own it now. And it's, it's, you know, it'd be like a come and take it, you know, Molon lobby. Um, it's like it, we own it now. And if, and the only way that it can be taken from us is if somehow we are fooled into giving it up yeah, or we lose our, our, we lose our fighting urge. And that's exactly the two Republican, um, again, I'm not bashing Republicans, but when Republicans come after my public land, I'm going to bash Republicans. It, I, I, I will go after anybody. Uh, because that's a priority well, I, I issue. I believe but... there's. I think there's a solution here. Um, there, I think that we're going to get to a place. I, I do. I do believe this. We're going to get to a place where the American system of public lands and management and all that is dragged out in front of the two parties: Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever. Mm-hmm. And we are no longer going to. There's, it's not going to be something that like Rob Bishop from Utah can use to make people mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna, and it's not something that um, some some leftist Democrat can say. Well, we're not gonna. That I mean, the, let's just say neither the left or the right is very good on this subject. If we want this, we're going to have to make it a a a, a priority to politicians to not mess with it and instead to celebrate it and let's argue about the management of it but not the existence. So how do we do that, Hal? How how do we get how do we create pain for politicians that are opposed to public land and and advocate for politicians and I don't care if they're left or right uh, yes. advocate for politicians that are for public land. I I mean I it's such a tough I, thing because, you know... Some of those folks are creating a pain for themselves, those politicians now, by embracing, like, wacko things. Yeah. You know, in my opinion, it's a wacko idea to transfer the public lands to the states and then sell them off. Like, like I don't know anybody in the West who hunts and fishes public land or hikes or camps or raises their kids out in the woods um, who would support that. I don't either. But what it is is the the politicians support a lot of other things that they they that that person might also be for, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so what we've got to do is say, this is the third, what Randy Newberg called it the third rail. You touch it, you're electrocuted. Okay. Like in a subway, you know? Yep. Oh, yeah. And he says, like, you know, like, like you, you, you keep your hands off the public lands and everybody else, y'all can, but we can vote for politicians who represent our values in some other thing. But this one is unquestioned. We want the freedom to hunt, fish, and roam America's public lands, our land, our dirt, our water. Hmm. And you don't mess with that. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, have you found, is there a way to get to think about cities like Missoula, Boise, uh, you know, I don't know, Cheyenne, Wyoming, Denver, Colorado, these Western metro areas where there's a lot of people, um, you know, party affiliation irrelevant uh, that may not get out and hunt and fish and and camp and enjoy, you know, public lands, trap, all all the things that we do on public lands. Um, to make them a little bit more aware and, and, you know, tuned into the idea that this is a beautiful thing that, that nobody else in the world really has. They don't, that's, they don't. I, I, I have a good friend here who, um, was in like international construction. He worked in embassies. He worked for embassies. Uh-huh. And I think he was in, I don't know, 32 countries or something. He was in Haiti. He was in India for a long time. Um, and he came back home, and he is one of the great speakers, and, and he's not a talker guy. Um, but he, he, he said, there's no, he said, I spent all of these, my career in these countries. Somewhere like Estonia. Yeah. <laughs> he talked about how beautiful it was, right? And you could walk along the path, and you could go to these mountains and stuff, but, like, it was not the Bitterroot National Forest. It was not the Ponderay National Forest. Yeah. He said, he said, there's nothing like this in the whole world. And yeah. um, he actually spoke to Senator Daines' staffer, his natural resources staffer, about this. And I, I think, and she, she didn't know what it was all about. It, and he was, like, kind of blowing her mind because here's this guy, he's an international construction worker, you know, he loves to hunt. And he's telling her about public lands. Mm-hmm. And I think she expected him to be like like a, a right winger or something that doesn't believe in public lands. I don't know what it was. It was a it was a baffling exchange. But he's one of the best. He's one of the most eloquent spokespersons for public lands, given his life experience. So, and what is this argument? Right wing uh, public land is not in the constitution. Like the whole the whole Bundy argument. What? Yeah, where do they get this information? Where, why are they presenting it like this? Do you know? Well, okay, I do. So the Bundys use a pocket constitution, which was annotated by a very eccentric person named Cleon Skousen. <laughs> Skousen <laughs> and and Mister Skousen, his relatives are still in Utah. Um, he did a little bit of time at the FBI. I think he was a, a police chief in Salt Lake City for a while. Um, but he fixed he fixed the Constitution, <laughs> and the one that they use doesn't recognize the property clause of the United States Constitution, Article Four, Section Three, Clause Two. Yeah, it it has the power. I'm reading this off the internet. It has the power to retain, buy, sell, and regulate federal lands. Yeah, 
And and I, I'm in my book. I, I read that one. I read that one directly to Ammon Bundy, and he's still like, "Oh no, it's unconstitutional." <laughs> well, it's probably not in his annotated constitution. Yeah, yeah. So when I when I met them at the when they occupied the Malheur Refuge, yeah, in Oregon, um, I was there, you know, and Ammon would wave this constitution. All his followers, they wave this little constitution at you. Anytime you would say anything that they they can't really match in an argument, they just wave it, <laughs> yeah. and and it's annotated by Cleon Skousen. It is not the original United States Constitution. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and so it's a convenient they, constitution. I, it's so wild that people just pick whatever they want to believe in a in a in a civilized society where you're kind of protected from raiders and 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 wolves you know and and stuff mm-hmm. one of the one of the sad things about being in a civilized society is that people are protected from the consequences of their own like imagination fantasies beliefs you know yeah yeah like like, like if you're in a war or if you're a, a blackfeet raider in 1840 you just simply there's certain beliefs you just can't have like you can't believe that you know you can run faster than every other crow indian on earth I mean, you get killed. Reality catches up with everybody at some point. It does. And and my my worry here is that enough people are going to be misinformed about the American public lands for us to make some serious moves and lose the public lands. And that will be an example of reality catching up with us. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that, and that's where that stuff comes from. Are people like the Bundys in in Ammon? Yeah. Ammon, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm telling them about how you know the state of Idaho uh, is constitutionally required to uh, have the state-owned land generate revenue for school districts and other entities, and and he's telling me no, it's not true. It's really frustrating because it is true. It, it's, well, you can't tell me it's, it's not. Cr- true. And, and isn't that awful? Because that's one of the best ideas we ever had. Right. You give Section 16 and 36 of every township to the state. And by the way, the the feds got this land because we went to war with Mexico mm-hmm. and, and signed the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo and paid them $15 million in gold. Yeah. And, and, and you know, if, if you're in, into, like, the nuances of it, we didn't get... The, the Native Americans still had their parts, but we bought, we won the war, and we bought the right to attempt to control this land. That's really what it was. Sure. And 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 when the U.S. government took over these and, and created the states under the Enabling Act, they gave them sixteen and thirty six to remain in state ownership. Mm-hmm. And that was to support the schools because the government didn't want everybody to be illiterate. Yeah. It was it was a brilliant move, especially for the time. It was a brilliant move. I, the... There's so many brilliant moves that were done in this in this way. Um, and then what did Nevada do? They sold off all of their state lands yep. in what's called an orgy of corruption <laughs> until they only have three thousand left. And the state of Utah is now selling off their state lands. Yeah, Utah. Utah seems and, to be a lost cause in a lot of things when it comes to public land, but. A lot of, I, I, don't, I, I think politically it is because the people who enjoy these lands are not speaking up. Yeah, I, I agree. That's what I mean. And, and, and that's, that's my problem. As a proud Republican. 
Republican, Hal. <laughs> Let me put it. I, I again. I, I am. I am very conservative. I, I believe in yeah. limited government. I believe in individual liberty, and and, and all these things that make up yeah, conservatism. I do. I, right? I'm, I'm into limited, effective, limited government exactly. and individual liberty to the max. But there's there's a reality of that, and then there is you know a fantasy of that, and where where it gets really messy is when when I hear. Republicans and conservatives talking about how, oh, well, the federal government shouldn't be owning all this land. We need to give it back to the states. And, and you know, it didn't ever belong to the state in the first place, but whatever. Uh, yeah. the, the thing that bothers me about right. that, it never of, did. of yeah. all of all the things that the federal government does that chaps my ass, you know, $30 million to study, you know, uh, whatever mosquitoes reaction to carbon footprints in Mississippi, all these goofy things that we spend money and, and all these crazy things that are mismanaged from education to our fiscal budgets to, to all this stuff. Why in the hell are we focusing on public land? Like the forest service is the best thing the federal government does. It is. And it could be much better. Um, absolutely. Because we, we have, so Dick, Here's a, here's a thing that happened in the 90s um, with, the like, the spotted owl controversy and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So you're asking me where some of this anti-public land stuff comes from. So yes. Anilka in, in Alaska, the, the management of federal public lands in, in Alaska, it was just incredibly controversial. And, and it turned out good, but people were furious. They, you know, they... they through bombs and rocks, and the same with the spotted owl thing, right? That the they they were cutting so much timber in the northwest that the spotted owl was endangered, right? Mm-hmm. We all remember it. Yep. And then so they had to cut back on it to to comply with federal rules that we passed in 1976. <laughs> I mean, it's so complicated, but it's it's the way things work. Um, so we passed FLIPMA, which was Federal Land Management and Policy Act, Policy and Management Act, in 1976. And that was a huge change on American public lands to recognize, like, um, public access, for one, but also wildlife and fisheries and, and native plants and all that. And it made the, the management much more complicated and much more controversial. And that's a place where people started going like, we hate the feds. We hate the feds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, and another thing that happened in there was the environmental movement then, and, and I consider myself a conservationist to the max, and I believe in laws protecting the environment. Yeah. But the environmental movement then saw that you could, say, stop a timber sale because there was a grizzly bear habitat, right? Yep. And they began to sue. And one of the things that happened in the 90s was the the more green part of America, they started hating the Forest Service. Mm. And then the other people that, that hated having regulations on how many cows they can have or how much timber they could cut, they didn't like the Forest Service. So the, the Forest Service, which is a, a noble agency, was getting heat from both sides, and they always do. <laughs> oh, absolutely they do, yeah. I mean, and so they're kind of like the redheaded stepchild. It's it's like they can't get a break. BOM either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so and and so politicians tend to go like, well, I mean, everybody doesn't like these guys. So I'm not going to fund this, but I don't have to fund the budget for the BLM 100. percent 
who's going to complain? Everybody hates them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's just not They're right. It's if they like, don't. Yes. And and we should be we should be prioritizing the Bureau of Land Management and Forest Service funding and we should be bringing the best and brightest and we do have a lot of the best and brightest in the BLM and the Forest Service now. Mm-hmm. But we should have like like it it should go it should, I'm, nobody goes back anywhere. It's, everything goes forward. But I believe in the future if we work this right that to have a forest service job is going to be like an honored part of your community. And and it is now but it's it it could be better. And it could be better, that yeah. it, a BLM range conservationist is going to be like every kid in sixth grade says, man, I'd like to work for the BLM and be a range con out there mm-hmm. riding my horse on the American public lands and making sure that everything is okay. And we don't have another dust bowl or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to see these agencies have like, like just like I would, I just think they could be, we could all agree that, this, if you're dig this, so if you're going to be a conservative and say you want limited government, mm-hmm. you're still going to have a government because people demand to have a government. They got governments in El Salvador, well, right? That, that's that's <laughs> the big, yeah, exactly. They got that, that's the big misconception when when and I think that this has come. A lot of it has come out of both parties seem to have gone more extreme than they used to be. You know what I mean? Like back Correct. in the 50s and, leave, and 60s. And leaving all us regular people out in the middle. Exactly. Like, like yeah. I don't want to be an extremist one way or the other. I, and and I, I can't stand extremism one way or the other, to be honest with yep. you, because I, I, that leaves no middle ground. There's got to be gray area right. because life is just not black and white. It gets messy. Right. Things mesh and things turn gray. So you got to be have some common sense with this stuff. And and that's what's happening. I always think about say, it as having like when you got kids at home, you know, uh-huh. and you got to pay the mortgage, you got to get the groceries and you got to get the track shoes or the basketball shoes. Mm-hmm. You're like. Like you just remember Thomas Jefferson said that the American smallholder, like like a, a person who owns their own property and has to farm it or whatever, yep, is the least likely person to fall victim to extremism. Exactly, you're just too busy, it's, and that's that's the thing is I don't know if maybe the 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 comforts of life in America have have created this sense of boredom, and so people need to push things to extreme levels, but. That Agreed. what what happens is we leave no middle ground for for the compromises that need to take place, and and so right. when somebody like me says I believe in limited government, people think that I'm I'm referring to no government. No, it takes right. it, it, not everything the federal government does is bad. That that's not what my that's not what my perspective is. I think that there's too much federal government, and it, it spends way too much money and takes too much of my personal money, for sure, yep. absolutely, Agreed. hands down. But who in the hell else is going to win World War II next time an, right. a, the Nazi Party comes to uh, you know taking over all the other countries uh, in Europe? Yeah. You know, because and, it, and also like who I mean, who would manage a, a system of public lands like this? Yeah, like like that. I keep I always come back to this because. If if we had no government, you know, there's a there's a record of that too. But even Somalia has a government. <laughs> it just yes, doesn't do. do anything for the people. Yeah, 
Well, and that's you that's know? the big idea, the big difference between American government and, and most other governments throughout the history of the world is, is our government Correct. was designed to serve the people. The people were yep. not designed to serve the government. And that's where we've there gotten go. a little bit out of hand is I think that both Republicans and Democrats have gotten to a point where they've, they've pushed this extreme idealism as to yep. where the government is the one that has the final say. I'm sorry, you don't. You don't have yep. the final say. So the people have the final say. The people have the final say. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's a, I mean, this is, this is an essential American question. It's why I, I was, we had the movie Public Trust and all, um, but the, 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 the question I've, I've always answered, I believe that the system of American public lands are as essential to the democratic republic and our future that we want to live in as anything else in the Constitution or in our our, our American civil rights that we are our, our individual liberties, mm-hmm. I believe that the public lands are a cornerstone of the American experiment. Absolutely. You'd mentioned you had your buddy um, that you know traveled the world working in all these construction zones and and whatnot, and yeah. I have a similar experience. You know, and it, when you're in the Marines, you you have the uh, now, you don't get to go to destination places that people think of. I've been to places like right. Djibouti, Africa. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> you know, and all these all these uh, places, you don't even, they're so obscure, nobody knows they even exist. Uh, but it sucks. I'm I, I, Going there <laughs> will... Uh, a, I know. <laughs> it will always forever and forevermore make me grateful and, and thank God that I was born too, as an American. I- because yeah, we have, and, and a I was, lot of it is because of public land. Yes, I was driving this morning to go look for some ducks, and I was going up, and I was looking at that moon, you know. Yeah. And I was just like, I was, I felt like I was the luckiest person on earth. And That's funny you say that. That that is so funny you say that. You know, when I was in other other countries overseas, and and we're sitting in some shithole of a country and it's midnight and the moon is out i would look yep. at that moon and, and i would same think moon. is that the same moon that yeah. i i would i would sleep under when i was hunting deer and in, in uh, wherever america uh, you yeah. know it's it's that that moon relates the entire world to itself and and yeah, you can no right. matter where you go it's the same moon but in that's parts awesome. of this country, in parts of the world that I was in, life was so vastly different than what I was used to. But that yeah. moon was the same. And, and I, I don't know yeah. where I'm, I, I, maybe I'm trying to get too overly uh, philosophical or, or poetic or something, but. I don't think so. I think that that poetry is part of like hunting and, and, and living. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, being having the access, people ask me why, like, I'm a public lands advocate. I'm writing this book. What in the world? Like, I, and I've been on it two years, and, it, and it, uh, it's like, yeah, you have been I, writing that a, book a long time, Hal. I, I, I I'm have, ready to read and it. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, there is, I do feel, uh, to whom much is given, much is expected. You know, mm-hmm. and I have made a life. I, Elk hunting was was what really hooked me, but my kids too. My son killed his first bull last year. My daughter and I were were on public land hunting. She wanted a mule. She wanted to find a mule deer. We didn't get one, but we had these epic days in the backcountry. And I I just would come back and I would go like, who gets to do this? 
you know? Mm-hmm. I, and mm-hmm. I, I am not a wealthy man. I can promise you that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's the thing that, and that, again, I, I don't mean to keep bringing up Ammon Bundy, but I was trying to express to him, the general public, the, the general um, group and makeup of most American hunters are not yeah. the kind of people that could spend $30,000 to go hunt an elk. I'm sorry. No, it's just not, it's not, not. The, I can't do that. I can't do, yeah. you know, you can't do, I, I ever, and I've, I've had a couple people on the show here that can do that. And I'm not disparaging them for being able to do that. I applaud it. Great. You've been yep. really successful. Glad you, I'm glad you got it. I, I'm glad you can do that. And I'm glad that there's yeah. institutions out there that allow that to happen. And and thank yep. God to be America, uh, an American, because you could pay 20, 30 grand and go hunt whatever the hell you want. That's awesome. Yeah. But for the most of us, the people that actually pay into the public land system the most, most with our heart, souls, blood, sweat, tears, and the wildlife management funding uh, that, that comes from this thing we do, um, that yeah. comes from people who can't afford to do that. And so when you That's take right. those lands away and restrict our access, you are taking a part of our, our, our life away. You are taking a piece of us away from us and you don't deserve to do that. And I will fight you tooth and nail to make sure that that doesn't happen. And, and also you're fighting for an essential concept of America. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, and it, Roosevelt said, if it doesn't work for all of us on some level, it's not going to work for any of us. Man, that's a, that's a great point. I forgot about that and, quote. Yeah, and I, and the, one of the things that comes here is like I don't I don't understand. So I've I've been I've done a lot of like mountaineering, and I've spent a lot of time. I, I've spent most of my life outside, even though I'm a writer. You know, mm. and one of the things is re, talk about realities. Twenty three or or. 23 below, you know, 30 below, say you're on a long trip and it's 30 below. You know, the reality is, is really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if you don't have a snow shovel to build a shelter, you're going to suffer. Like it's, it's not, there's no fantasy there. And so I, I think I'm, I'm maybe because of this, I maybe I'm more reality based than some people who don't do those kind of things. I'm not being a big head or nothing, you know? No. But, but, I don't understand this impulse in America right now to throw bombs and blow stuff up and burn stuff. Like, like, why are we talking about getting rid of the public lands? Why wouldn't we go, we are the most powerful, luckiest people in the world based on extremely difficult decisions and sweat, tears, and blood of our forebears? Why are we talking about tearing it down? It blows my mind. It, it absolutely <laughs> blows my mind. And, and and it comes from people that you wouldn't expect it to come from, too. That's what yep. also, you know, I, I would I would actually I would actually expect something like this to come from some left wing nut job out of San Francisco. So, oh, well, nobody's going to will. I think it will too, because they're 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 going to say, you know, hey, uh, they're not taking uh, public land leaves these lands exposed to people who are not going to take care of them, and That's you know it. the the also they're going to you know they're yes they they also the left is so they're so blinded by like um like like human interest or bleeding heart whatever yeah. Eventually, I'm going to go. You go. Why would they all that land be out there for wildlife and watersheds when people could be enjoying it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. buying it and and living on it, you know. And um, I mean, it's 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 there's a there's a problem with the 
the, the problem is not going to go away because, um, and I don't want to get too deep into this, but the population is going up very fast. Yes, it is. And so this pressure is not going to let off. And and I do think that that event there will be voices from the left that are going to want to be divestiture of public lands, and they're going to be joined by voices of the right. I thought, you know, when the attack on Pittman Robertson Act came recently, yeah, this last summer. Yes, I yep. thought that was a leftist thing. I thought that was a gun control. I did too. Deal. I did. I, you, too. Did you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I did. I did. I, it never occurred to me that somebody in the Second Amendment supporting community would attack Pittman Robertson, the most successful, one of the most successful conservation funding mechanisms and shooting ranges. Yeah, uh, it's... In, in American history, I thought it was. A, I thought it was an anti-Second Amendment movement, I and I was too. like, "Here they are! They're finally showing up." Yeah, and it turned out from Georgia. Be, it turned out to be a Republican congressman from Georgia, and one of our Montana guys has signed on. Yeah, it, it was frustrating to see because I, I think that people don't understand. I want to. I want to sit down and ask him, like, why would you? Th- this is the water that fills the bucket that gives us the yeah. weight to hold these That's things, and and come said. and and we. You want to get rid of that? You, you want to go to the yeah. table with no weight behind what you're saying? That's what Again, you're to burn it's something dumb. down, which is proven to be indispensable to the future of hunting and shooting in America. It's insanity. Maybe, Hal, here's what we'll do. You run for president, I'll be your vice president. Whew, that'd be a rough one, wouldn't it? You'd want to keep me hidden away, actually. I won't be your vice president. I'll just be your... <laughs> They'd have to keep me hidden behind the curtain, too. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I, I have a degree, an undergraduate degree in Latin American studies, and... uh I spent oh, really? a lot of time in Mexico. Yeah, and I was in Mexico and Brazil and Central America. And uh, I, I think I got a crash course in how things don't work. Oh, man, totally. And, and like, the nature of government. Mm-hmm. And and uh, that's really what I took away from those years of study and travel. Um, was was like, you're going to have a government. They got governments everywhere. The we have a unique ability here to say what that government is going to do. And I believe in the future that the power of the American people is going to say this American system of public land is a perfect function of a functional, rational, limited and effective government. Mm -hmm. And buddy, we're going to, we're going to make things happen. Like you can't believe like range restoration, like we did in the 1930s after the dust bowl and, um, forestry management for both sustained yields to small mills, not like this global model where you cut all the timber down and sell it to Asia. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. gonna have we're gonna have a, an America first model based on public lands and ecosystem services and resilience and beautiful like like Rock Creek in Montana, whose headwaters are protected. That creek is just a powerhouse for people fishing and swimming oh, yeah. and living on. I was going to say, don't even mention that river on this show, man. Like, like let's keep that <laughs> to ourselves, all right? <laughs> but but, it, but it, 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 it's got so much pressure, but it, 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 it powers through year after year because its headwaters are protected, yep. exactly like President Harrison when he wrote the 1891 Forest Reserve Act. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's amazing stuff. I mean, this we can we, this conversation can go on for the next three hours uh, if we let it. Uh, I know. Yeah, I want to. Uh, yeah, whatever uh, works for for like for your listeners to to take away from this just this remarkable history and this incredible treasure that we have in hand. Mm-hmm. It really is, and if if somebody out there. I think that that's that's part of the problem. It's not that people don't care. They there's there's people don't out know. there they don't know to care. It's no. just like me prior to getting to North Carolina, where where there was very limited public land uh, in coastal yeah. North Carolina, and I, my my level of frustration was through the roof. I couldn't wait to get back out west because there was nowhere I can go to hunt. And, uh, that, that, that's what it took for me to realize what the problem is and and where the solution is. And so I think that that's what it is for, for those that may not, or I guess unwittingly, unknowingly take advantage of our public land system. You need to know that it, it is something you got to care about. You've got to care about because this is our life. This is our lifestyle. We don't go... We, uh, you know, I'll I'll use Idaho again as a great example. For thirty five bucks, I can go buy an elk tag, and I have millions of acres to go find one in. You that that is not yeah. the case in most of the world. In most of the no. world, that is not the case. We, what what, no. what would you say the American West, the eleven states with the most public land percentage wise, takes up land mass wise? Five percent, maybe one percent. That's a good question. I can't. I couldn't answer I don't, that. Yeah, one. I couldn't either. I, yeah. I don't know. I'm just kind of doing it off the top of my head. I don't. I maybe one percent, and yeah. uh, and that is where the magic happens. And obviously, Canada has a lot of public lands as well. Uh, they do, but those are crown lands, and the people do lands. not get a big say in how those are managed. Um, they That's do what's not unique. in Australia the same. Yeah, and that's what's uh, sorry. I was drinking water there. That's what's unique yeah. about the American system is is it's our land. Hal, it's you. Yeah. I had no idea you were such a big landowner, and 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 me yeah. too. Like we own yeah. this land. It's not like the federal government. There's some head honcho sitting in Washington D.C. that owns the deed. That right. that's not how this works. We own the and land. And they can send somebody out there to kick you off of Yeah, yeah, exactly. You Anytime know, they want. And, and, and a lot of times you'll hear the argument, well, they can close forest service roads. What do you say to that? <laughs> yeah, and, and one of the, the great things about that, closing those roads, is you have big game security, and the roads don't erode and fall off in the creek and ruin the water downstream. Yep. And it, you can um, walk in. And you can walk in, and the other, there is a millions of, acre, of of miles of Forest Service roads you can drive around. I I mean, I've, I have worked in, you know, in forestry stuff, timber and pine cone harvest and, and tree planting and all that. I mean, I have driven hundreds of thousands of miles of Forest Service road and had a great time yeah, doing it. I love you know? it. I, I still, to this um, day, I love it like I'm a teenager. I go cruise the roads for nothing else. Yeah, you know, me too. Yeah. And one of the things I would, I would also throw in here before we quit was um the conflict over the management of public lands has caused a lot of people to dis- dislike um that like like the people go why don't we y'all just get rid of them you can't do this you can't do that one that's usually not true but the conflict is part of the gift we should be arguing over the management of public lands and we should always have them to argue over mm-hmm and, and sometimes, yeah, and, and you have to argue of them. Nothing, I, I think of like 
places with, like America, America, again, Canada, the government pretty much decides the management of those lands, and the people just have to live with it. Yeah, yep. In America, it's of the people, for the people, by the people. And they get, the rabble gets to yell and scream about the con. They ha- they get to engage in the conflict over the management, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. It is a good thing. <laughs> it's it's a it's a as we say, like uh, in my day job, if if I if I get enough contracts coming in and we don't have enough guys to to do the work. My boss always says, well, that's a good problem to have. It's the same thing. When we have arguments over what uh, and how to manage these public lands, you know what? That's a great problem to have, and it's something I, I, I would do enthusiastically. So how, when when do you expect, when do you expect your book to be available, buddy? I'm, I'm got a publication date of around 2025, but I'm delivering sometime. I'm, I'm trying to deliver the bulk this year, man. And and I'm over. I'm over already. I've been. I've. I've got caught up in this history, and I've. I'm. I don't know. It's. It's a. It's a huge project. I was going to um, say that, this. This must be massive. This must be a massive. Well, thing. It, but it can't be massive in the end. It has to be more concise. You know? Gotcha. Um. So, uh, I did make a lot of incredible trips into to Utah and to down where the Bundys live in Gold Butte National Monument. Mm-hmm. And I'm writing on that right now, um, and it was hard to figure out like what to feature as well. Like I did the Shoshone National Forest in Wyoming because it was the first national forest in America. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Whoop! Did I lose you, buddy? Hello. First trips in the book. Oh, I, I, you cut out there. Sorry about that. Uh, you. You cut out right when you said... I, uh, I did the Shoshone National Forest. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. Um, but that is that that forest is the restoration of wildlife. I've never seen so many big bulls in my life. Hmm. Wow. Um, and 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 it's it's no accident. <laughs> yeah, and it's not I an mean, accident. It is not an accident. We chose to set that land aside near Yellowstone. We chose to manage it mostly for wildlife, you know, because mm-hmm. it's so high that you couldn't do anything else with it. Yeah, you couldn't pay me um, enough money to live in Yellowstone. I, I I got enough snow I'm dealing with, Hal. It's cold, man. <laughs> it is. It's cold. I think we're in for one heck of a winter, too. Uh, but... I've already got one here. I mean, it's been uh, the last week I was, the, the week I went elk hunting, it was eight below, several days running. Oof. Now that's um, cold. Now that's cold. It was so, super cold. It was hard to deal with. We don't get we don't get temperatures like that very often here. Like I think it's probably twenty eight degrees outside right now. But uh, I've already got three feet of snow on the ground, and they're calling wow. for another six inches tonight. And so I'm yeah. not super happy about that. But I don't I don't know. It is what it is. It's but water for next year. It is. Hopefully, it'll uh, help help with uh, some of these fires we've been having lately out yeah. in the west, and and keep that kind of at bay. But Hal, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. I'm really looking forward to this book. Uh, I'd love to get you back on in the future uh, to kind of continue this conversation because I I think there's only so much we can cover, especially with my short attention span where I I get derailed and go down all sorts of different topics that uh, I didn't That's part of the fun of it, though. You don't (laughs) want to get too focused in this life. That's what's great about doing a podcast is it doesn't really matter. Yeah. 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 Uh, But, yeah, I appreciate you joining me. I really appreciate you having me. This is a passion of mine. Uh, 
Yeah. I guess you could tell. <laughs> oh, I can tell. I can tell. And it sounds yeah. like this. I cannot, again, I can't wait for the book because you've got the passion. You've got the experience. You've got the time. You've got, you're a hell of a writer. Uh, I can't wait to get this book in front of me. And uh, I, I hope a lot of other people get it in front of them as well. Um, just hopefully. Well, I'm, I'm heading out. I'm, I'm, I'm working on it as much as I possibly can. I'm, uh, I, I also want to see it behind me. And, um, I, you know, it's hard to be a writer when you're, you want to, you hunt and fish is like, I, I like to <laughs> tell me about it. No, tell me. I, I've actually been working on a book, uh, for about a year and I, I, I flat out put down the work on it in August and I haven't touched it yeah. since because it's been hunting season. So, yeah. uh, anyway, yeah, I, it's nothing compared to what you're working on. Uh, you're the writer between the two of us and, and I can't wait to see it. So I appreciate you well, joining me. I appreciate me. that, man. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll holler at you when I get closer to the end and we'll talk. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And then when, when, okay. it, when you, when it's ready to release, let's get you back on the show and, Sounds good, and man. Uh, we'll, we'll get it, we'll get it in front of as many people as we can, brother. All right, that sounds great. All right, Hal, until next time, I really appreciate it again. That was a great conversation. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. You made it. That's the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure you're following us on Instagram at the Western Huntsman and write us a good review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.